today's sermon is going to come from a psalm that has a psalm in the Bible that's really stood out to me these past few months. Uh, it's been stirring in my heart. It's one that I uh, wrote next to it in my Bible, Claim It, years ago, that this is a very important psalm to claim. But it's just been highlighted to me and to my spirit recently. And so I actually want to preach through this psalm to you guys today. It's Psalm 112. I want you guys to all open up your Bibles and turn to Psalm 112. This is one of the sermons that I really hope that each of you, especially the new members, especially the leaders, especially the leaders, that you guys will take this sermon to heart, uh, that you guys will really meditate on this chapter uh, as you are here at Shilin. I feel that this is a special word for this house. It's for the greater body of Christ as well. Um, but it was only recently that God was really highlighting this chapter to me. And uh, so I feel like there are some specific promises that God wants to release here uh, at Shilim. Psalm 112, please just uh, read along in your Bible uh, as I share it out loud. I'm reading from the ESV, Psalm 112, 1 through 10. It says, praise, uh, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Amen. This psalm is actually an acrostic psalm. So acrostic, what that means is the letters of the alphabet in alphabetical order, each line starts with a new letter. So a few weeks ago when we were praising the Lord, uh, I, I was leading prayer time, and I encourage you guys, if you run out of words for the Lord, just go through the alphabet and, and just speak out, you know, awesome, beautiful creator, devoted, excellent father, just go through the letters. That's like an acrostic, and that's actually what this psalm is. It's an acrostic in Hebrew. So you've got to study your Hebrew if you want to see the true beauty uh, in this in this poem, um, but it is a beautiful psalm uh, that I want us all to claim. And so I'm going to go verse by verse through this. Uh, I'm really just going to emphasize, emphasize the first three verses, because if I did every verse, we would be here until about midnight. Um, this is such a rich psalm. So I'm just going to cover the first three. Let's start with verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights and his commandments. If you're taking notes, uh, I realize I didn't give you the title. The title is Promises for God's People. Promises for God's People. So you just became a member of this house. Well, what are God's promises for you? You just became a Christian. What are the promises that God has for you? What should you expect as a Christian? These promises require faith. They require action. So I'm going to get into that in this word. So the first verse starts with, a simple hallelujah. Hallelujah in English means praise the Lord. 
So likely in the Hebrew, it was just hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And what I want to emphasize to each and every one of you is that anytime you go to the Lord in prayer, anytime you connect with God, it should always begin with praise. I mentioned this at the leadership retreat, but I want to go a little deeper in it. The Lord's Prayer, when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. You see, when Jesus started prayer, it wasn't, oh, Father, I pray that you come and give me help. Oh, Father, I pray that you forgive me. Oh, Father, I pray that you deliver me. It wasn't any of that. It was holy is your name. Praise belongs to you. You are set apart. There is none like you. That's what Jesus was saying. It's the same thing in this psalm. Praise the Lord. When you praise him, you are putting yourself in the right position to connect with him. Okay? When you praise the Lord and you say, God, you are a loving father, boom, you're immediately speaking now as a son. But if you just go to God and be like, God this, God that, God this, God that, are you connecting as a son? Are you connecting as a loved one? And are you connecting with a great and awesome God? Or are you just connecting with a genie? Are you just connecting with, with some, some force out there that you're really hoping will come through, but you're not sure? You see how you can tell whether you're really connecting with God or not is, is your emotion as you pray. If you're coming to God with all this fear and anxiety, your relationship is clearly off. Okay, if you're coming to God with, with the, just, just anger or, or just wrong issues, a wrong heart, you're demonstrating that your relationship and the way you see God is, is just completely wrong. So you have to praise. What's funny in relationships is, uh, you know, Sky and I, we love each other so much. We really do. But, you know, when conflict arises or we're really tired, uh, that's the worst time when conflict arises, when you're really tired and, and you just, your self-control is gone. Suddenly you're not seeing each other like, this is my bride who I love so much and who I pledge that I will serve through everything until death do us part. Instead, it's like, man, you know, what is wrong with you? You know, and not seeing each other in this place of love because our mindset is off. Okay, and that's completely unloving and it's completely wrong. It's not right in any way. And so what I encourage couples, and this is basic marital advice, is that when you are in a time of conflict, you need to remember why you love this person. Because when you're in conflict, they, they call it beast mode. All right, When you get into such deep conflict and such anger, you become an animal. And suddenly, you don't care about their feelings. You don't care about anything about them. You want to say what you want to say, and you want to do what you want to do. And you will find this in many couples and many families, siblings, okay, Mother and daughter, these certain moments where suddenly there's no love right here. This is just, it's beast mode. What they need to do is, okay, take a step back and, and remember. And marital counselors say that if they can ask a couple that's nearing divorce, hey, can you remember your wedding? And they remember their wedding and they have at least one fond memory. And then if, hey, can you remember why you initially cared for her or for him? And they can say something, then they will likely stay together. But if they can't remember anything, and they're just like, oh, yeah, the wedding day, she was late. Um, you know, the cake was horrible, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's clear that they have forgotten every reason why they love that person. They have completely moved on in their heart, and they say that that couple will, will divorce. They don't have a chance. But, you know, for, for us, when, when we just have those conflicts, and, guys, conflicts happen in, in marriage. They really do. 
Uh, even the Neufelds will have conflict here, here and there. You know, as perfect as, as these couples are, it's just natural. We're human. But when we take that step back and we remember, man, God brought us together. This is why I love this person and, and, and that. Suddenly you're not seeing that person in beast mode. Suddenly you're not seeing that person in, in that anger and why are you making me do this or, or why is this happening? But rather you see that person in love. Suddenly all that poison, all that conflict, all that fear, all that anxiety, all that bitterness just goes away. It's the same in our relationship with God. We have to start with praise. Because when we praise Him, we see Him in His true light. And so when we see Him in His true light, we can connect with Him. Psalm 104, this is an easy psalm to remember because 1004 in Korean is chansa, okay, which means angel. All right, Psalm 104 says, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving on my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. What the psalmist is saying in Psalm 104, chansa, in this verse, is that if you want to go into the Holy of Holies, if you want to go into the tabernacle of His presence, if you want to get deep into the ways of God, it starts with praise and with thanksgiving. That's why when we have our order of service, we don't hold the praise until the end. We start with praise. And that's also why in the order of service, she's not doing these really slow songs at the beginning. It's, you know, Sam's banging that, that djembe. All right, we're going for it. We're clapping our hands. Why? Because you start with praise. You start with that just, God, you're so good. And then as you see him in that light, that leads to worship. And now you're getting drawn in. Oh, now I'm remembering why you're so good. Now I'm remembering why I love you so much. Now I want to go deeper. Now I'm getting into the Holy of Holies. Now suddenly the songs start to slow down. Now we're getting heart to heart. Okay, there's a reason for this in worship. And it shouldn't just apply to Sunday worship. It should apply to our quiet times. It should apply to any time that we want to connect with the Lord. You start with praise. You honor him for who he is. You give him glory. And uh, it should go in your relationships as well. I mean, man, couples that are good at affirming each other are so happy. But couples that forget, that don't say I love you that often, it can cause strain. It can cause uh, just the way they look at each other to change. So it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments. The word blessed here can also be translated as happy. That's really what the Hebrew translation means for this word. Now, there's different words for blessed in the Hebrew, but for right here, it means happy. Happy is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, the word fear here can also be translated as reveres, greatly honors, and obeys. So that word for fear it means reveres, greatly honors, and obeys. So the ESV says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. But you can also translate this as happy is the man who reveres, greatly honors, and obeys the Lord. Happy is the man who reveres, greatly honors, and obeys the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Our worship, that word fear, really means worship, obedience, reverence, honor. That's worship. It's bowing down before him. Our worship to him is connected with the first part of that verse, Psalm 112, verse 1, and the last, last part. You have to have a balance of both praise and delighting in his commandments, his word. It's when you combine praising him and just exalting him for who he is and knowing his heart you have such a balance that leads you into worship. 
that leads you deep into his presence. Greatly delighting in God's commandments means we need to be in God's word and not reading it like a textbook. Greatly delight in your commandments. Have you ever opened up a science textbook and just greatly delighted in it? I, I, I don't, maybe some of you, maybe a few of you. I was an engineer. I could not stand my physics or my chemistry textbooks. Opening it up and just, okay, I got to get through this. And you know what? The sad thing is for me and, and my personal walk, that's how I treated the Bible for many years. I treated this like a textbook. So I became a Christian when uh, I was in high school, and I began reading the Bible one chapter every night right before I go to sleep. And uh, I, I was very faithful. Just My parents had, had taught me to be a disciplined person, and so every night I would get in bed really tired, but you know, I'd keep the lamp on, open it up. All right, what am I going to read today? I'd read one chapter, close it, and go to sleep. And I will tell you, throughout high school, reading the Bible every day, I got nothing out of it. I'm just going to be honest with you. I did not grow at all. I got zero out of this. And it wasn't that this failed me. It was that I was approaching it very foolishly. I was approaching it as something to gain wisdom by. I'm going to open up this book and I'm going to get wisdom. Just like you guys open up a self-help book for wisdom. Or you open up a textbook for wisdom. I'm going to open this up and I'm going to learn how to live right. But you know, when I opened this, I wasn't connecting with the Lord. I wasn't saying, God, what are you speaking to me tonight? What do you have for me? I wasn't connecting with him. I was treating it like just any other book. And the other problem was, I was reading it right before I went to sleep. Uh, that's pretty foolish, right? Uh, you know, I, I love to bring that marriage analogy. Again, it'd be like Sky and I. You know, I just ignore her all day. Then right before we go to sleep, we're really tired. All right, I'll give you 10 minutes. All right, let's talk. Okay, good night. Turn it out. I don't remember a thing in the morning. That's not love, right? It's very sad. Sadly, many Christians treat God this way. Many Christians, all right, you know, wait, wait until really late or when I'm just exhausted, but I got to give God time because you're God. I'll give you time. And you do it, and then you wonder, why am I not growing? Why am I not getting anything out of this? You got to greatly delight in his word. And what happened for me was it all changed when I entered college. And I've shared this with uh, Emmaus a number of times because, man, when you're in college, this is the crucial time to be growing. But it applies for us all throughout our walk. I entered college and I got in a fellowship. It was like a CG for here in this house. Uh, we called it home group. And then they put me in a root group, which was an accountability group. And I met with three other men, uh, three other guys. And uh, we met up and our leader was like, okay, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to start in Isaiah. And we're going to read four chapters a day, except for the day that we meet. So 24 chapters a week, we're going to read it. And if we don't, if somebody doesn't have it done, then we have to read it again, along with the next 24 chapters. So, okay, you know, I'm going to read it. I'm a disciplined person. And I remember I went back to my dorm room those next six days. I read those 24 chapters of Isaiah. And you want to know how much I got out of it? Zero. I got nothing out of it. We met back up, and I was just like, man, this this. This book is confusing. I was just kind of reading it. God's just angry at Israel. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And it uh, turned out one of the guys didn't read it. So I had to read 48 chapters the next week. And I'm a man of integrity. 
I didn't be like, oh, yeah, right, you know, and just say that I read it. No, I really, I opened it back up. But something convicted me. Because I saw other people that were so mature and so strong and had such authority, and they knew the word of God. And they knew it from their heart. And, and I thought, if I'm really supposed to grow with God, I've got to get something out of this. There's got to be something for me. So I decided I'm going to start to take notes. I'm going to find one line in every chapter. There's got to be some word that stands out and is going to bless me and nourish me. And uh, I hate writing, so I opened up a Word document. And I typed Isaiah 1 hyphen, and then I read Isaiah 1 again. And I think what I wrote was, God is angry at Israel. Like, well, that's all I'm getting. Uh, I, titled, I titled the document, Summaries and Studies of Chapters Read. That's why I titled it. Okay, and then Isaiah 2. And it was all like seven words per, per chapter. It's just like little bits here and there. But I learned this is not a textbook. i got to ask God to speak to me. And so I began to, when I would open up the Bible, I would ask God, God, I pray you speak to me today. And what God also convicted me was, stop reading the word right before you go to sleep. So what I did was I began to give God a better time of the day. Now, for me in college, it was usually after my first class or on days when I didn't have classes, like 10 in the morning, after I'd woken up and, like, come back, you know, to sorts. I wasn't going to wake up at 6 in the morning when I didn't need to, okay, to read the Bible. And I'm not good in the morning. So if I had an 8 a.m. class, I wasn't going to wake up at 6 to have my Bible time then. It's just like, again, you know, if Scott and I really want to connect and have a date, we're not going to wake up at 5 in the morning to have a date. All right, you've got to know what is your special time to have with God. And for some of you, it is early morning prayer. For some of you, it is, man, when you get up in the morning and you just get so deep with the Lord. Others of you, it is maybe later at night. Maybe you work best at like 10 o'clock at night, but it shouldn't be right before you go to sleep. For me, it was like late morning. Okay, and, and I would spend the time, and I would pray, and I would get into it, and suddenly stuff started to come out. I started to get things. Little, very little at first. And what you've got to understand, when you first open this Bible, you cannot expect to understand everything. There are so many layers. I've read this so many times, and I'm still learning so much. And uh, by the time I finished college, I'd read the Bible multiple times, and uh, I'd continue to work on that summary studies, chapters read. And it... I checked it the other day. It's 390 pages, single-spaced, 12-point font, the Times New Roman. Summaries and studies of, of chapters read. Every single chapter of the Bible. Okay? So I had started it with one line, like seven sentences. One line, seven sentences. Now, some of the chapters in here, I wrote a full-page, single-spaced, all right, of stuff that God was speaking to me about. That was how deep I was getting in the Word. And if you had met me when I was 18... And I first got into college. And then if you had met me when I graduated from college, you would have noticed I was a very different person. I was so much more stable, steady, confident, just so much more direction and clarity in my life because I was walking with him. And you know what? Even when I graduated, I didn't know what God was going to do with my life. Uh, God hadn't led me to Korea yet. Uh, I was still very much lost. My other friends had jobs and, and whatnot. But more than my friends... People would look at me and be like, wow, you're so, you're so stable. You're so mature. And I was only like 22 then when I graduated. I can't, can't remember how old I was, but around then. Greatly delights in his commandments. You have to get deep within him, deep into his heart. Now, I taught the leadership this at Sunday Swim, but your grip on the word should involve about five steps. 
It starts with your pinky finger. This is hearing. This is baby. Baby believer. You are at church right now. You are hearing Psalm 112. All right, now you're maturing a little. Your ring finger, this represents reading. Now you're like where I was in high school. You're at least reading the Bible, but you're not really getting anything out of it. Third, third, middle finger is meditating. All right, this is very important. Meditating. You want to you get close to the Lord? You got to meditate on his word. And that's what I was doing when I started asking God, what are you speaking to me in this chapter? And I would look through it. And even in my immaturity, I would find at least one line or one theme and I would write it down. Meditating. So important. Index finger. Memorizing. Oh, man, you want authority? You memorize scripture, but not like a textbook. I know a lot of religious people that can quote this thing, and they don't know God at all, just like the Pharisees in the Bible. But if you meditate on the word of God, and then you memorize it, and you continue to meditate on it, now it's going deep within your spirit. And when you speak it out, there's authority to it, because you know it through and through. All right, that's memorizing. And then the thumb is the most important. Without the thumb, it's all worthless. Application. Application. Okay? Hearing. Reading. Very important. Meditating. Memorizing. Applying. That's your grip on the work. And if you hold this Bible with just your pinky, okay, all I do is I hear the word of God. When Satan comes, he will just snatch that right out of your hand. You got no grip on the word of God. You have no standing with him. You have no stability. Now you're, you're, you're reading it, but you're still weak. You don't have much of a grip. But as you get to those five steps, now you have a strong grip. Now the enemy cannot take this out of your hand. You are secure. When Jesus was tempted in Scripture, he responded with Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture, and Satan fled from him. Satan cannot attack the truth of God. He has no defense. He has no way in. You guys got to delight in his commandments. A couple tips for you guys in reading the Word of God. One, it needs to be done systematically. When you read the Bible, it needs to be done systematically, not randomly. All right, if you don't know what systematic means, with a system, all right, where you're not just like, all right, today I'm going to read page 508 of my Bible, and you just open it up and you expect God to speak to you. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. All right, you don't open up a textbook even and be like, today I'm going to study chapter 9, section 3, and expect to really learn anything because there's a reason why it's in order, okay? Every book has an order. Now, for the Bible, there are different books within the Bible, and so when, when a new believer, you know, puts their faith in God, I often encourage them to read a gospel first so that they know Jesus. But don't open it up to Matthew 12 and expect to get it. You start with Matthew 1. And today, all right, if you have time, you read Matthew 1. If you're hungry, you go Matthew 1 through 10. All right, if you don't have much time, you just read Matthew 1 and 2. But the next day, you don't suddenly skip forward to, to the gospel of Luke. No, you keep systematic. Matthew 3 and 4. Matthew 5 and 6. Now, for me in college, when I first did that accountability group, I was reading four chapters a day. You read four chapters a day, taking one day off each week, you will finish the Bible in one year. All right, so I did that a couple times, but then I wanted to go deeper, and so I would read just one chapter a day. Uh, during a couple years in college, I would just read one chapter a day, but when I would read it, I would read it once, and then I would read it again, I would underline and mark it up, and then I would type it up, and I would end up spending the same amount of time that I would have if I was reading four chapters. You want to go deep, you got to invest time in the Word, and you got to read it systematically. At the end of this year, I'm going to challenge a lot of you leaders to read the Bible through in a year. 
I'm going to pass out a Bible reading plan. I've done it so many times, and I'm going to encourage you guys to do this, members as well, guests as well. Uh, you guys can take it. I'll put you guys in accountability groups. I'm going to see you guys grow. And then you will start to understand Isaiah. Isaiah is, is my favorite book in the Bible. And when I first read it, I hated it. It was just anger, you know. But then as I started to get into the history, I started to get into God's heart. I started to see the prophecies of Jesus. I started to see all the connections. Isaiah is amazing. That book is beautiful. But if you don't read the rest of the Bible, you won't, it won't make any sense at all to you. You're missing out. So we're going to do that at the end of this year, but don't wait to read your Bible until then. I need you guys to be reading daily, systematic, getting into this word. And the second thing you guys need to be doing is asking the Spirit to speak to you when you read. This is a relational God that we're worshiping. He wants to speak to you not through a textbook, but through the word of God. The Pharisees knew this. They had it memorized, but they didn't know God because they were treating it like just a book of wisdom, a book of law. A book of rules. But Jesus and his disciples, these, these uneducated fishermen, they knew this through and through because they connected with the Holy Spirit. Because they asked the Spirit for revelation. Think about that. Peter and John had zero education. They didn't know all this like the Pharisees did, and yet they shamed the Pharisees. They, they changed the empire. You don't have to be a genius to get the Word of God. All you need is the Holy Spirit. And if you are a born-again believer, you have the Spirit living within you. Now you just got to acknowledge Him. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? Reveal yourself in the Word. That's all you got to pray. Just short prayer. Recognize Him and then read. Have expectation and God will speak. My third tip for you guys in reading the Bible is you guys need to mark it up. All right, if you're, if you're OCD, you know, neat freak, whatever, get two Bibles. Have your clean Bible that you show your friends. Like, look, it's my clean Bible. All right, and then have your Bible that you read and you just you tear it up, okay? Well, what I do is uh, I underline verses that stand out. I put stars next to verses that are really important to me or like, ooh, that's, that's something deep. And then I'll write right in there if there's something God is speaking to me. And if I write something down, I can usually just preach a message from that. I'll just open it up, boom. All right, Psalm 109. Verse 8, all right, let me speak you know, about this. And boom, I can do that because I've written it in. I've read it. I've gotten deeper. I put a music note next to a verse that I recognize that song. Oh, better is one day in your courts. That's biblical. I didn't know that. Music note. Put that in there. It's fun to see that. I put a cross next to verses that I realized that's about Jesus. That's about Jesus. I, I thought the Old Testament was so boring. It was just a bunch of anger. But I see Jesus in every book, and I'm putting crosses putting crosses. So now when, when I teach Bible study, I don't prepare. I, I'm, I'm not being cocky here at all. I just, I have my notes right here. It's all marked up. So you guys ask me, all right, hey, can you teach me from, you know, Psalm 110? Okay, boom, let's open it up. Go right into it. I can look at this and begin to share things that I've meditated on, things that I've underlined, things that I've seen. Guys, I, I, I told you, I didn't get anything out of the Bible before. I, I wasn't some super Christian. I wasn't. I was a knucklehead. I'd read it right before I went to sleep. Right? But as I started to take him seriously, as I started to get deeper, and as I kept reading the word, just, just rich, 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 so much pulling it out. You guys know I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to Bible training school. I came out here alone to live with a bunch of orphans. But I've meditated on the word of God. I've gotten so deep. 
I remember when Pastor Marcus was taking the seminary ordination exam. It was like this ridiculous multiple choice packet of crazy biblical questions. And he was like, who knows this stuff? And I looked down and I was like, I think it's this, 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 this. And he's like, All right, who knows this except for you? you know? That's what I expect of you guys. That's what I expect of you guys. I was not always an apostolic leader in this house. I was in the, when I came in for a few years, I wasn't even a leader. I was sitting in the back. I was focused on orphanage ministry. But I kept faithful in the prayer team. I kept faithful just serving in the background, going on mission trips. And as I kept faithful and stewarding these things, God began to raise me up. I think there's a lie that a lot of people believe. And it's just like, well, he knows the word of God, so I'll just learn from him. Or I'll just stay at this level because that's who I've decided. That's where I've decided I should be at. And a lot of people put a ceiling over their faith. And that is completely unbiblical. It's completely wrong. We have the spirit of God living within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in each and every one of us. Not just in Pastor John or Pastor Sky. In each and every one of us. Treasures galore if we will just delight in him. Just open up your Bible each day and get that daily bread. Ask him to speak to you. And when he speaks to you, don't just look and turn away. Mark it up. Write it down on you. Write some notes. Journal. Get deep into his heart. You will not regret it in any way. I don't care what God's called you to do, who he's called you to be. You will have no regret delighting in his commandments. I told you I could spend a lot of time on each verse. That's just verse one. Uh, If you do not have an ESV, if you don't have a Bible, please buy one after service. All right, if you're a leader in this house and you do not have a Bible, I command you to buy one after this service. Your smartphone is okay for on the go. All right, when, you know, it's just like uh, I'm, suddenly I need to minister to someone unexpectedly, you pull out your smartphone or point them to a verse. That's fine. But that should not be your quiet time with the Lord. All right, I, I, you know, you try and mark that thing up and rub your thumb all over it. it, it it's going to be really hard. Now, if you read a Kindle and you're really skilled at the highlights and, and all that stuff, that's fine. Okay, the Kindle is, is, is a bit bigger, but your smartphone, uh, it, you, you need to have a Bible, okay? And you got to mark it up, and you should have multiple copies. Uh, I, I like to collect different versions, and I read through different versions. If you've read through the ESV, get the New King James. Get the NASB. Those are great translations as well. And just go deeper. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll read the NKJV, the New King James Version. I'll read a book. Like I say, I'll read the book of Genesis, and I'll open up Genesis in here, and I'll just compare my highlights, and I'll compare what God was speaking to me. And there's been some deep revelations that I've got through other versions that you don't find in this version. Like I just translated uh, verse 1 for you guys. Happy is the man who fears the Lord, who reveres him, who obeys him. There's so much richness in that verse. So you'll find that in more translations. Start with the ESV, though. This is the version that New Philadelphia uses. Okay? So get that Bible, and at the end of the year, uh, get ready to read the Bible in a year. Uh, You guys are going to get built up mightily. Verse 2. Let's move on. What on earth? Verse 2. says, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright 
will be blessed. This is promises for God's people. His offspring will be mighty in the land and the generation of the upright will be blessed. If you are a Christian, then what you need to understand that this is God's will for you, that you will leave an inheritance. Whether you have physical children or spiritual children, you will leave a blessing here on earth. Your offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You guys got to know this. So many Christians just believe, oh, I, I'm, I'm not effective. I, I just serve in the background, in the service team. I, I just try and, and help you know, here and there. But I don't really disciple anybody. I'm just a reserve leader. I'm just a member. I'm just, I'm just a shadow on the wall. No, if you're a believer, if you're a true believer, then this verse applies to you. Your offspring will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. But you got to claim it. And you got to know it in your heart. Because if you don't know it in your heart, you're just like that Christian who doesn't praise the Lord, but just goes to him with a bunch of moaning and crying, and God, give me this, and God, give me that. You're completely off. But if you meditate on your inheritance, you get authority. You get power, and you start to recognize, no, I'm a mighty person of God. Even if I don't have a leadership title, God has anointed me with his spirit, and I'm going to love on those around me. And even if the people that I love seem to reject me, I'm going to know that this is truth. I leave a mighty inheritance. And I'll tell you guys, at my orphanage, I serve these kids. There's, when I first came to the home, there were 88 of them. And uh, you think I can love on 88 kids all at once, like spend heart-to-heart conversations with, with each of those 88 kids? It's impossible. There's no time in, in a year to have heart-to-hearts with each of them. So my heart broke, and I was like, God, you know, what do I do? You've given me a heart for all of them, but, but I only have so much time. And I felt God telling me, just love the ones that you're teaching, because they're the ones you see the most, And the few that I put on your heart, spend extra time with them, but the rest entrust to me. And what God was saying was, you're not the author and perfecter of their faith. He is. God is. Okay? And so I love them, and I'm going to leave a mighty inheritance no matter how they respond. And the ironic thing is, is a lot of the kids that God had put on my heart to really love and to spend time with were so difficult. And I would want to give up. And I would see, like, they're not changing. I've taught this kid for, like, six years and still, you know, acting rebellious. And then a couple of these other kids that I had, like, two conversations with will come up to me and be, like, those conversations that we had that I thought were just random really impacted their life. And they'd be like, I was so blessed by you, and they're in such a good place. And I'm like, what on earth? I didn't invest in you. I just, like, saw you in the stairwell, and we talked for a little bit. And I, you know, I just maybe affirmed you in a small way. In the same way, guys, we leave a mighty inheritance whether we know it or not. If we will just walk with God, we can't let certain people discourage us and say, oh, I have no inheritance to give. I have no spiritual children. Oh, I'm a horrible father. I'm a horrible CG leader. I'm a horrible reserve leader. I'm a horrible whatever. That's a lie. We live by faith, not by sight. There was a missionary that went to India, and uh, his story is that he ministered there until the day he died. And uh, he only got one convert, one convert, and that convert fell away. (laughs) Can you just imagine? You finally got one. You're having church, just one-on-one, and that convert finally fell away. And he died not having a single person in his church. Now, we live by sight. He would have been depressed and broken and defeated. But you know what happened was after he died, they found the translations of the Bible that he had written into the Indian language. Okay, I don't know which, which dialect it was, but he had translated into the language of that area of India. They found it. Suddenly people got saved left and right. 
His inheritance was ridiculous. Think about Abraham. He just had Isaac. Or Ishmael was a mistake. He just had Isaac. Abraham didn't see the day when the Israelites took the promised land. He didn't see the day where, where Jesus came. He didn't see any of that, and yet we consider him the father of faith. That's faith. So what you need to understand is that if you are a Christian and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will leave a mighty inheritance in this land. Your offspring will be mighty. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And as you keep loving these students, as you keep loving your, your familia, as you keep loving these different people, you entrust them to God. And you don't let their rebellion or their foolishness or those things get on you. Okay, if there's something you need to learn, you learn it. But you entrust them to the Lord. He is the author and he is the perfecter. And you know that God is faithful. And I'm telling you guys, as you just look to him, he will show you that fruit in perfect time. You will be encouraged. You will be strengthened. My dad taught Sunday school for, I don't know how long. He's been teaching high school students 30 years, uh, something like that. And there would be seasons where he would just get discouraged because these high schoolers are just, they're high schoolers, you know, they're, they're teenagers. And, and they'd just be all, you know, loud and goofy. And, and he'd be like, am I getting through to these kids at all? And I'm telling you, every time my dad would start to get discouraged and he would pray, God, am, am I being effective at all? Suddenly this old past student would call him up and just be like, hey, I just want to thank you for the impact you had on my life. Now, at that time, that, that student was a mess, okay, in, 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 in there, all right, in that class. But later, God had worked in his heart. And he re realized those seeds were planted by my dad. You guys got to be faithful. You guys got to know that each of you are mighty in the Lord. This is a promise for God's people. If you are one of God's children, this is a promise for you. Your offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to share one more thing on that. Jesus. We thank Jesus. He's the son of God. He was perfect in all his ways. I imagine his small group was at least good. His community group, man, he had them in order, right? Think about this. The 12 disciples, he invests in them for three years. A lot of you have been going to CG for like two months. He had three years, and they didn't take like weeks off or Sabbath seasons. He was with them like every day, these 12 disciples. One of them, yeah, we know he, he betrayed him. But you know what happened on the night that he was betrayed? He's breaking bread with his disciples. You can read about this in Luke 22. And he says, he just starts pouring out his heart. And he says, this is my suffering has finally come. One of you is going to betray me. And you just imagine the solemnness in his heart as he's breaking this bread. And he's saying, who I give this to is going to betray me. And he's just speaking about how he's, he's dreaded this day. And then the disciples, they're like, oh, one of us is going to betray you. And they start arguing. I think it's you. No, I don't know. And then suddenly you read in Luke 22 that they begin to argue, not about who's going to betray him, but who's the greatest. It's in the Bible that disciples, Jesus is like pouring out his heart. And suddenly they're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the greatest. I walked on water. Yeah, well, I'm the greatest. I brought the little kid with the fish and the bread. Can you imagine being Jesus and thinking, I am the son of God. I've had three years with these guys and they still don't get it. How can I expect any of these people to be successful? Jesus wasn't discouraged. In fact, he looked at Peter and was like, hey, you're going to deny me three times tonight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus was okay. He knew that God was in control. He knew that God's hand, God's will would be done. And so Jesus, when he was betrayed, his disciples, they all flee. Peter follows at a distance and denies even knowing him. All right, Jesus goes through everything alone. 
And when he comes back, he restores his disciples, he forgives them, and then they wait and the Spirit comes upon them and they become like new men. What we need to know is that even though we sow into certain people for years, and in the natural, it seems like they've gotten nothing out of it. They just seem like the same mess they were from the beginning. Our faith is in God. Our brother that's been running for so many years. Okay, our mom or our dad that we've been praying for for so many years. These different people, we entrust them to the Lord and we rest secure. God is faithful. And if you are walking in your true identity, if you're walking in, in these, according to these promises, you will see it fulfilled in your life. Your offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You will leave a mighty inheritance. That is God's promise to you. All right, verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Uh, money is perhaps the thing that requires the most faith for believers. Some Christians, they fear it, so they forsake it. They don't want anything to do with money. Or they're just, I'm content with this low salary. I don't want to get tempted. I, um, I'm afraid of you money. Okay? And they live that way. Others, they love it. They love it so much, they begin spending money they don't even have. And they fall into deep debt. And now suddenly, money owns them. Others, they see, you know, other, other people, you know, falling to that temptation of money. And so, again, that fear comes in. We will not teach about money in this church. We will not talk about money. We're going to avoid money. We're going to be like those monks that just left everybody and, and lived alone in, in these temples. That's completely unbiblical, all those things. Money is an inanimate object, okay? It's, it's just, it's paper. If you have an emotion that is unhealthy when you see something, like if suddenly I saw this guitar and was filled with fear, something's wrong with me. It's a guitar. It's a tool. You use it to make music. It's not something that is going to own me or, 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 or consume me. It's the same thing with money. It's just money. There is no power to this money. It's just for goods and services. It should not evoke fear. It should not evoke greed. You feel greed. It would be the same as looking at you know, a, another girl and saying, I, you know, I want this girl. That's wrong. That's lust. That's wickedness. All right, now, the, at least the girl is a living being, but to get all excited about a piece of paper... That's completely wrong, right? That's off. But sadly, so many Christians, because of that fear or because of that greed, let's just ignore money. Let's just live with what we got and just try and get by and just, just, just not be smart about our money. But Jesus, in the parables, he spoke about money so much. He has so many parables about faithful stewards, about the parable of the talents and, and the minas and, and those that worked in the vineyard and those that got their wages. So many parables about money. It's important to God and it should be important to us. Not in greed and not in fear, but with this confidence that, hey, here's another promise of God. If I'm a Christian, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Money should just be another tool like that guitar for glorifying God and advancing his kingdom. That's what money is for. Okay, it's for provision, yes, but more than that, it's for glorifying God. It's for advancing his kingdom. Abraham, father of the faith, was he a poor man? Was he a man that, oh, I forsake everything, I just have this one cloak, I would, this one cloak is enough, I don't need clothes, I don't need 
you know, anything. No, he was so rich that other kings bowed down to him. Other kings revered him. Kings revered Abraham. Isaac, was he a poor man? See, like, oh, you know, I, I believe in God, but I don't agree with the, you know, the way my father is. I'm going to run away. No, he's a very wealthy man. Jacob, he forsake all those things. But later, as he struggled with God and got closer with the Lord, blessings came upon him. Wealth and riches. Joseph, as well, went through a time of testing. But he became number two in all of Egypt. Think about this. This is our heritage. This is our, the people that we have descended from and the faith. And their model is, is that, one, money did not control them. We don't read about Abraham being controlled by money or Isaac or, or Jacob or Joseph. We don't read anything about greed or, or anything like that. They just walked in God's provision and God blessed them. That's what we should expect for ourselves. My desire for Shelim is that this campus will have a right view towards money, that everyone here will be debt-free. Everyone here will be debt-free and that you guys will have great resources for the kingdom of God. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody needs to be stewarding their money right. You know, when people stewarded their money right in the Bible, God didn't say, all right, good job. Now you keep those two talents and you live off of them. No, he gave them two more talents. Or he gave them two cities. God loves finding faithful stewards because there's so few of them. Because in the church, so many people are afraid of money or in debt to money or, or greedy for more money that God can't give them anything. God knows if I give them the raise that they've been claiming, if I give them this, this material blessing, they're going to worship that more than they're going to worship me. And they're going to fall apart. So God holds back. And he says for, of that servant that lived in fear and took his talent and buried it, Jesus rebuked him and called him wicked. You should have at least put it in a bank. Hey, putting your money in a bank is biblical. Savings is good. All right? But instead he hid it. And so Jesus rebuked him, said, cast him out. And he took his talent and he gave it to the most rich. I think about it in the church. I, I mean, we're like, no, we should all just, you know, just, just share and just, you know, have, have nothing. No, God is looking for those that will steward his money well. And he wants to give them great wealth. Great wealth. Not so that you guys can get a Lamborghini. Not so that you guys can, can buy an island somewhere. That is not why God gives his wealth. He gives it for the advancing of his kingdom. And if you're a faithful steward of his finances like Joseph or like Daniel, suddenly you have, a, you have an empire before you. And this is a call for Shelem. This is a call for you guys, and you guys got to take it to heart. Because I'm so tired of looking at my fellow brothers and sisters just struggling year after year, living paycheck to paycheck. People that are in businesses where we should see, you know, a moving up, just struggling and burning out and going to another job with the same amount of money and, and just striving for that and then moving to another job because of burnout. That should not be the way that we're living. We should thrive. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We have a mighty inheritance. We're set apart. Spirit of God, I, I taught this other retreat. He is the creator. He released creativity, inspiration, innovation. We should be head... head we should be well above our peers in what we do. And uh, I, I challenge people when I talk to them about money, don't, don't just suddenly be like, okay, you know, I'm going to pray for this inordinate amount of money or for this ridiculous breakthrough. No, God wants you to grow step by step. Remember when I talked about the Bible and I said that when I first read the Bible, I got one line out of it. And then later I got two lines. And then later I got four lines. And later suddenly I'm writing like a full page. 
Same thing should be with your walk with God financially. God is not going to be like, oh, you passed this one test. Now I'm going to give you everything. You shouldn't expect that. It's just a faithfulness in walking with him. Oh, you're faithful with two? Here's two more. Oh, now you're faithful with four? Here's four more. And now you're faithful with eight? Here's eight more. You see how this works? It's not, oh, you've been faithful with two? Here's 20,000. That's not how it works, guys. Because our hearts need to be right with him. And when you grow and you develop with him step by step, you're stable. Your roots are deep. You don't need to fear money. And so when the, the money starts to come in more and more, you're not suddenly being like, oh, I'm just going to use it for myself. I'm just going to do my own thing. God is setting you apart for his kingdom. He wants to use you. And I need you guys to receive this. Guys, money is not the root of all evil. Did you know that? Money is not the root of all evil. That is unbiblical. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is evil. That piece of paper is less, just the same as that guitar. It's just an object. But when you love it, when you want it so much, that leads to evil. But when you are righteous, when you're walking with the Lord, what does he say? He says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. His integrity endures forever. That's the promise from God. That if you are a righteous person and you're walking with the Lord, you will not, your heart will not get clouded and overcome by this money. You will be safe. Your integrity will be secure. So for you guys, what I just want to recommend for you all is, uh, one, you've got to commit your money to the Lord. And what you've got to understand is that we're called to be pipes, not wells. I want you guys to get this concept. We're called to be pipes, not wells. Wells, they just wait until there's enough in here, and now we'll give back. That's not the Christian life. Freely you receive, now freely give. You're a pipe. What God gives you, you give away. Whenever he calls you to give away, you're not holding on to it. You recognize every good and perfect gift comes from him and, and, you know, freely you receive, freely you'll give. He gives and takes away. Your heart will choose to say, blessed be his name. There was a pastor that went to a poor area uh, to do missions and he had gotten a watch as a gift and he loved that watch and he's in this, this slums area and, and he felt God telling him, give your watch to this pastor here in this poor area. He said with joy, yes, God, I just thank you for this watch. I'm going to give it to this guy. Praise the Lord. He gives him the watch as a gift. The, the pastor's really blessed. And so this pastor, he goes, goes home without that watch. And then some time passes, and a friend gives him a nicer watch. He's like, wow, I was faithful with that watch before, and now God's blessed me. So he's really thankful. He loved his watch. And then he went, and he was doing work in, in another area. And again, God said, give your watch to this pastor. He's like, okay, all right. And he gives the watch to him. Praise the Lord. You know, God, thank you for, for letting me have that watch for that season. But I just bless him. And that pastor they gave it to was so, so blessed. And then he went home. A couple of months passed. And he got a really nice watch. I think he's a like Rolex or something. Like really expensive watch. Somebody gave it to him. And he was like, wow. God, you are so faithful. I've stewarded those watches so well. And now you bless me with this precious watch. I love this watch. It's a beautiful watch. Wouldn't you know it? He goes to do ministry in another area. And God says, give your watch to this person. And he said, no. I love this watch. God, God this is a precious gift given to me. How could, I, how could I give this away? That person spent so much money to, to give this to me. I can't, I, can't just, I can't just give it away. 
And he felt God just kind of relent. And so he's like, okay, good. He held on to it. And then later he heard God speak. And God said, now I know the limit to what you can steward. What's your limit? Where, where are you going to get at in life where suddenly it's like, I've got to hold on to this. No, I can't, I can't share this. Okay? Call to be pipes. Freely you receive, now freely give. Everything you possess, family, friends, jobs, it all belongs to God. If God calls your friend somewhere else, you will not mourn and kick and scream. You will bless the Lord for that friendship. God calls you to give away a certain money that you've saved up. You will bless the Lord and say, thank you, God, that you've given this, that I might be a blessing. Called to be a pipe. Now, what I want you to understand is religion is like a hose that you don't turn off. Religion compels you to give to everybody. And that is not biblical. Religion is, I'm on the subway train, and then there's this person walking through with a limp. i got to give to him. I come out of the subway station, and I see this poor beggar. i got to give to him. And then i got ten support layers. i got to give to everybody. That's religious. That's just like what I talked about earlier, where i got to love every orphan. i got to spend time with every orphan. i got to burn myself out for, for his kingdom. That's foolishness. When Jesus walked into the, I think it was the Pool of Siloam, when he walked in this area, and there's cripples everywhere. He's led by the Spirit to one. And he says, pick up your mat and go. And he leaves everybody else. Now, religion is, I've got to heal everybody. I've got to pray for everybody. I've got to do everything. That's not the way of the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, you're a mature person. You know what God is breathing on and what he's not. So when Pastor Christian's like, we're going to take an offering, you're not like, i got a gift, and you're just throwing money at it. That's foolishness. You're going to get rebuked by Jesus for that. I'm not joking. That's foolishness. You need to be prayerful. you got to talk with the Holy Spirit. you got to feel it in your heart. And if you are joyful in giving, if you feel the Spirit responding, yes, you know, give, and you give with joy, God will bless you tremendously. But if God's not on it, if you're in a place where, man, you, you shouldn't be giving and you don't feel the Spirit leading you to give, it would be foolish to give. Religion is a hose that is not turned off. All right? We're not a religious people. We're a people of God relationship with him we walk with him all right so entrust your money to the lord the way you can do this first and foremost get your tithe down malachi 3 uh, I'm, I'm going beyond my time limit malachi 3 is very clear about blessing and curse regarding tithe and i've seen it so clearly in so many people's lives who just can't tithe because they're holding on to their money like it's their own and so God's like, I'm not, I can't give anything in there. Your fist is too tight on your money. Okay? But when people recognize this money belongs to God, I'm a pipe. God's given this to me, not because I'm Superman, but because he has blessed me. Oh, wisdom comes from him. And then you give that 10%. You entrust it to the Lord. Now God's like, oh, you've opened your hand. Now I'll open mine. All right? Now you're going to start to tap into blessings. Now you're going to stop living month to month. But you've got to claim this scripture. You don't be like a person under an apple tree waiting for the apples. Where are the apples? Where are the apples? When you just come up, grab it, and eat it. You've got to claim God's scripture, and you've got to live by it. And as you live by it, you will see it in your life. It will become real to you. So tithe, uh, I, sent a, I wrote a blog about saving money. Once you got your tithe down, you guys got to take care of your interest. If you guys have credit card debt, you've got to pay that off. Uh, you should not have interest taking over your life, 
that, that causes you to be a slave to man, you should at least be paying the minimal amount so that there won't be interest for your debt. And then you should be saving money. Guys, money is given. There are times where you can spend for joy. I'm not calling, calling you guys to be penny pinchers and to never spend for yourselves. But you've got to just have wisdom. You've got to have wisdom. And if you don't know what you're doing with your money, talk to one of the leaders. We'll help you guys out on this. But just you shouldn't be throwing money at stuff and being reckless. And you also shouldn't be hoarding it and holding on to it with a rigid hand. We're sons and daughters of God's kingdom. Freely we receive, freely we give. We're called to be pipes. We're called to give. We're called to invest. We're called to save. We're called to see, be wise stewards so that God can give us the funds so that when reunification happens, we have an investment in this. We're not a bunch of poor people living here trying to pray that God will send some rich man to, to, to take care of everything. No, we're being wise stewards. Our dependence is not on man. It's on God. We will see it through. All right, let's look at Psalm 112 one more time. Read this through. Sorry, I got a little hot in here. Psalm 112, verse 1. Can we get the AC on? Let's read this one more time. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Guys, if you're walking with the Lord, these are promises for you. Here's another promise. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So from verse 1, we see the power of praise and delighting in God's word and how it connects with our worship. That if we will learn to praise him first, and if we will learn to get deep into our word, our fear of God, our reverence, our ability to obey him will become so strong. And we see in verse 2, the power of inheritance, that we are each mighty in God. And just like Abraham left a mighty inheritance, it was only just one son, but it changed the world. So too will we leave an inheritance as we walk with him. I don't care where you're at in your walk with God. If you claim this and you walk with him, you will leave a mighty inheritance. In verse 3, we see that wealth and riches are meant to be in our house and that it will not steal from our integrity. That we are walking with God so closely that no inanimate object, no temptation will be able to seize us because we're walking with him, we're living for him. This money, this wealth, all these things, is not for our glory, it's for his glory. It's for his kingdom. And guys, I want to encourage you as a church to meditate on the rest of these verses. Because like I said, I could preach long sermons from the rest of these verses. But I'm going to leave it to be the unsaid. I want you guys to get it during the week. Meditate on this chapter. Apply it to your life and see God's breakthrough come to you.